Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me again for this episode on Psalm 26 is our friend, Maddie Trivets. I really found this conversation fascinating. I think we both came in with a lot of questions about this psalm, and we'd wrestled a little bit with it and its language. We talked about how it could be a plea for justice, the discomfort of the kind of examination that the psalmist seeks from God. I think the conversation went in some unexpected directions, but was a really powerful reminder of the value of wrestling with these psalms in community and having some conversations like this. So it was helpful for me to process Psalm 26. I hope this is helpful for you. As we begin, here's Maddie reading Psalm 26. Vindicate me, Lord, for I have led a blameless life. I have trusted in the Lord and have not faltered. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and refuse to sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. Do not take away my soul along with sinners, my life with those who are bloodthirsty, in whose hands are wicked schemes, whose right hands are full of bribes. I lead a blameless life. Deliver me and be merciful to me. My feet stand on level ground. In the great congregation, I will praise the Lord. Maddie, welcome (laughs) back to Curious Psalms. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for asking me back. It's great to be here. Of course. The people are clamoring for more of Maddie. Oh, I'm sure. I know listeners will be delighted. They've mentioned in the past that they've enjoyed conversations with you as a part of them, so it's good to be able to have another one. Sweet. Well, I'm really excited for this conversation. Psalm 26. Oh, man. (laughs) I've told you ahead of time earlier today, I am very curious to hear what your responses to these questions are going to be because this one felt like a bit of a wrestling match for me anyway so absolutely same and the good news is unlike in psalm 25 i'm not going to go first so (laughs) q q really asserted some power asserted some dominance in the last episode but yeah I'm, i'm gonna i'm gonna take back the reins and say maddie i would like to hear your answer to our first question what stood out to you in reading this psalm so I will also admit that as I was reading this psalm and preparing for this conversation, I was not in love with it. I didn't really know what to do with it. I was, yeah, I was struggling through it. And especially kind of knowing like this is a psalm from David and I've (laughs) been reading actually through like the book of 1st and 2nd Samuel and like David did a lot of wonderful things and worshiped God, you know, in wonderful ways. But I also know that David did not lead a blameless life. And so I really (laughs) wondered like what to do because I'm reading him sort of in the context 
of Bathsheba and um, yeah, right. sort of that whole story of, you know, ordering her husband to be killed so that he could cover up this pregnancy scandal and just yeah it's it's hard to like read that and then come into this psalm and think oh david like vindicate me lord i have led a blameless life anyway so i that stood out i just wondered what to do with these words yeah and i think my own i wondered where my place was in this psalm because i don't feel like these words are true for me so, yeah. so of course, you know, we looked a little closer and called upon some experts. And just even in my study Bible, this is titled A Plea for Justice and a Declaration of Righteousness. And so oh, I'm like, okay, is David asking for justice you know, towards himself? What exactly is the justice that he's asking for? So ultimately, you know, after exploring and reading a little bit more... I realized how important it is to read this psalm after Psalm 25. So listening to you and Q have your conversation about Psalm 25 and David crying out. And so then you read Psalm 26 and you're like, okay, David knows these things aren't always true. And yet he's still asking God in verse two to examine his heart and his mind and to see the ways that he's been mindful of God's love. And then, yeah, kind of going on and seeing that this psalm, at least from what I've read, and I'd be so curious next to hear what you read, that this is actually in the context of David being chased by King Saul and like hunted down and like kind of skirting around death again and again. So Mm. here he's saying, look, my suffering is not from anything I have done. And sin does not cause suffering. So... It made me feel a little better after I read all of that to think like, okay, maybe we don't read this psalm as like prescriptive, but we we read this psalm as something that we can aspire to or something. Yeah. So much mirrors what I had on my paper. This is literally reading some of my bullet points. This is the same David who assaults Bathsheba? Yeah. Then I have... Wrestling with the arrogance slash pride of this psalm. I don't even know how to read it. Is this confidence? Is it self-absorption? Is it a mix of both? That that is word for word what's written on my page because I was having some of that same struggle. And also similarly, like, man, how how could I ever pray these words? (laughs) Right. And how, how in the world is David praying these words? And I think what you've demonstrated is a really helpful instinct that there you go to tools and you go to other voices I think one helpful thing, you know, I was reading one commentary that was just using a different translation, which is just a way of saying that sometimes one strategy when things feel less accessible is to go to other translations, because especially with the Psalms, this is poetry and words carry so many layers. And so the word blameless is translated elsewhere as integrity. Hmm. This idea of integrity or wholeness feels like it has a very different connotation from Blameless. When I think blameless, I think yeah. of perfection, like faultlessness. Integrity and wholeness carry slightly different valences. And so in the wrestling, the idea of this being someone who is demonstrating like, Lord, you can see how committed I am to you. Mm. Not necessarily claiming I'm without fault, but I am wholehearted in my pursuit of you. I was like, okay, that really reframes it. 
And then also just context clues of vindicate me, Lord. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, why does he need vindication? Oh, right. There's multiple parties in view here, whether it's, yeah, whether it's Saul and that situation, whether it's a myriad of other possible situations, right, where David's encountered some form of enemies. So that was helpful for me that it reframed it in terms of commitment mm-hmm. and less in terms of a certain kind of perfection. Because then once I'm thinking in that way, I can hear that in like say verse six through eight kind of the heart of the psalm he's expressing a deep love for where god is you know these songs proclaiming aloud your praise telling of all your wonderful deeds there is a there is a commitment even if it is without perfection if that makes sense so but that was not on the surface in this initial translation i had to dig for that you know right yeah i think verse 11 i was wondering about Because he says, I lead a blameless life, deliver me and be merciful to me. And so it's like, I'm like, wait, you still need mercy? Like, I'm so confused. Uh But I think, yeah. And, and I think we read this Psalm as people who, who are deeply steeped in the culture of grace and that like God chooses us, we don't choose God. And God is the, the primary actor in relationship and salvation and so this is very uncomfortable to read, at least for me. But then it was mm. such a good reminder to read verse 11 and think, yeah. oh, like, even if somehow David had led a blameless life, he would still need mercy. And I just, I was like, okay, okay. I think I can sit with this psalm a little bit more than the first reading took me to, which is, of course, such a helpful reminder, too, that with scripture, mm. sometimes just reading it multiple times can just bring like a new flavor and a new experience to the text that you don't realize kind of on first read. Oh, that's so well said. And just building on what you're saying, we have our culture and then we also have our personalities. And I can speak for at least myself, like as a perfectionist, like the idea of saying blameless, like necessitates absolute perfection. Absolutely. You would, you you know, just, you know, just toss a word like blameless around. Even integrity feels that way, you know, to think about this other word. And so there's a part of also, I think, just my personality that wrestles with what it means. Right. I think that's why it frustrated me so much because I was like, nope, not true. <laughs> Sorry, David. Sorry. <laughs> not true about me, not true about you. <laughs> you cannot check that box. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, you, you started talking a little bit. I loved your point about verse 11, which is a really kind of rich verse starting to talk about our need for God's mercy. But maybe... That can segue us into our second question, too. What do we learn about God from this psalm? Yeah, at first, I I struggled a little bit with where God yes. was in this psalm. I think my, my sort of like knee-jerk reaction was to actually go to verse 8. Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. And I just wrote next to it, like, I love being with you. Like, there's something so earnest about David just saying, I love to be with you where your glory dwells. And so I just wrote, to be with God is to be with glory. And mm. that what a beautiful picture that is. To then realize too, like David is writing this when we don't have sort of the understanding of the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling within each one of us. So then thinking, oh my gosh, the house where the Lord dwells is, is everywhere. And so being mm. with the Lord like just takes on such a bigger picture, I think, in that way. When we think about it like that. That was kind of the first thing I learned about God. 
The other thing that came from a little deeper dig was I think oftentimes, well, I guess it maybe depends on sort of your experience in Christianity and and your context maybe, but as I was preparing for our youth group tomorrow night and Mm. then and we're talking about the story in Mark 2 where the friends lower their paralytic friend into the room where Jesus is for healing. And mm-hmm. the Pharisees ask, who is this that says he has authority to forgive sins and to heal? And sort of this connection between sin and the need for healing and, and sin and earthly suffering that was pretty common, I think, throughout the Old Testament, and in some ways was true. The Israelites suffered because they kept turning away from God and choosing to worship other idols and to cause harm to their neighbor and to, you know, cause harm to one another. So there, I think it's, we, we shouldn't just rule out that like all suffering is not a result of sin, but, and this is where we go back to Psalm 26, I think thinking about this in the context of David fleeing for his life, that mm. suffering is not always a direct result of sin. And David here is saying, look, Lord, like, test me and try me. I have always been mindful of your unfailing love and lived in reliance on your faithfulness. And yet I am being persecuted and hunted down. And then, like, we know that happens later with David's son. Again, like, he's mm. being hunted down. So I thought that that was something that we learn about God as well, that... Suffering is not always a direct result of sin. It's not often the direct result of sin. Hmm. Yeah. One thing I've appreciated about this conversation is the value not only of reading multiple times, potentially even looking at multiple translations to hear the psalm more fully, but also zooming out even just a little bit, right? Remembering that these are prayers that are written in, in a context. And clearly here there's some suffering that feels and is not warranted by what's happened. I I was drawn to by that examine my heart and my mind. And I guess this is a roundabout way of getting at this thought, but I was just reminded God doesn't need that invitation. It's kind of a funny thing to say, really. (laughs) Like, God, check me out when God, in fact, knows all of it already. Lately, I think I've been struck by this, the simple truth that the Psalms remind us of in particular. I think recently I've talked about just the fact that God forgives is something that can be easy to take for granted, but is a pretty mind-blowing reality. When you pair that with this reality of Psalm 26, that God already knows every part of us and what we think and our thought life that at least I like to keep pretty veiled from everyone around me, it's all the more amazing that, yeah, that God is one who then delivers and is merciful. So, yeah, I don't know that that's direct. It's kind of obliquely in Psalm 26, maybe, but I'm struck by that truth again. Yeah, that's great. Shall we talk about our third question? How does this (laughs) Psalm, this one that both of us have wrestled with, help us to pray? Right. It's so interesting, actually, that you were taken with verse two and your reaction was like, oh, God already knows. God has already examined me. Yeah. Because I wrote next to verse two, who actually wants this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like that's scary I'm saying i want it to be clear right but like the, there's this like it's so vulnerable to be examined mm. it's so vulnerable to have your insecurities or your deepest wounds 
present themselves and be noticed and to experience like to be examined and to fall short and to feel the vulnerability and the weight of that. And I Hmm. just, I know that God sees all of that and all my ugliness and brokenness. And yet like, I never pray that God would really test me and try me and examine me in that way. And I just wonder like, and I don't really have an answer to this, but I do wonder like what it would look like to ask God to do that, to say those words and how that might shape sort of my life and my relationships if I really was sincerely asking God to take a deep look at me. Even though I already Mm -hmm. know it's true, I don't know. There's something about the vulnerability of asking for that that is so, just feels like scary and also makes me wonder who could I become by inviting God to do that? Even though you're right, he doesn't need the invitation. That's really rich, Maddie. That that just has me thinking. I think you're so right because part of it is, I mean, prayer is, we were recently having a conversation about disciplines and practices with our interns here at Granite Springs. And part of that conversation was recognizing that the practices that we do, whether it's praying the Psalms, whether it's, you know, some form of Bible study, whether it's any kind of practice, contemplative prayer or otherwise, they're not things that manipulate God. In other words, like we don't make him do things, but they are things that create postures within ourselves, create space within ourselves for God to work. And it strikes me that that yeah, it, it might be, as I was reflecting, already true that God fully knows our heart and mind, but it does do something different. I think you've really articulated that well. It does do something different for us to then say, okay, God, really take a look at me, you know, like really help. And I mean, I think the, the corollary of this is also help me see, help me see myself. So I think that's really helpful that there's an additional, that's an additional layer, right? Than just recognizing a theological truth. So yeah, thanks for... Thanks for building on verse two for me. There is one other thing I think that this psalm helps us to pray. Because I think you and I read this and thought like, you know, we really struggled with it because of sort of this, the language that David uses. I wash my hands in innocence and go about your altar, Lord. Like, But I, I also, this just came to me now, but I'm thinking about And I guess I can't say this about you because I don't know your full story, but I've never really been a victim of an injustice, like a deep injustice, and Mm -hmm. never felt that that I've been innocent of something that happened to me. Like I haven't experienced that trauma in a way that someone in my family has been unjustly harmed or killed. I haven't experienced, I haven't been on that side of suffering and and just to think about sort of the suffering of our nation right now and in a lot of ways like in pandemic and racial violence and all of these things that we're experiencing like i just am wondering now how someone else might pray this psalm and how someone who's yeah. suffered who's been innocent and yet has suffered unjustly would probably read this in a very different light and so maybe it teaches us then to pray with a little, or at least myself, teaches me to pray with a little bit more empathy towards those who have suffered grave injustices. Mm. I think it's so helpful to always try to hear the Psalms and how they would come off the tongues of others who have very different 
experiences. And I think you're totally right that, yeah, people who are experiencing injustice, this is kind of similar to some of the wrestling that I've had in conversations about God's anger earlier Mm -hmm. in the Psalter, right? It's like God's anger is good news for oppressed people. And equally, this psalm may feel like it gives exact words to someone who is experiencing these kinds of gross injustices. And then what it means, Kevin always, I think, helpfully reminds us that we pray the psalms with other people and on their behalf sometimes. So even to that point, what it means for me to stop praying the psalm as me, but to pray it alongside and for others, I think that's another way in, so to speak, to this psalm that can be a really helpful prayer. So... Thanks for the, both those thoughts, May. Really helpful. Psalm 26. Who would have thought? <laughs> Psalm 26. Who would have thought? We really, I feel like we've gone on quite a journey from basically 24 hours ago when I started looking at the psalm until today. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of it. I mean, it really, really is. It's it's It shouldn't be surprising, but it still surprises me, if that makes sense, in like rich ways. It's like, okay, obviously at some point, there's going to be something meaningful in this psalm. But then you read it the first time, you're like, is there though? Is there? But then, of course, you come to this place. And particularly, I think conversation is really rich for this too. Yeah, absolutely. And the ways it kind of gets illuminated with other people. But just without fail, the psalms. Folks, if you've not been listening along, this this is the this is the sales pitch. You're you know, in the this, right place. <laughs> you're in the right place. You know, let's keep thinking about the psalms together. Well, thanks, Maddie. I really appreciate your contribution and helping me do some of my own wrestling too with Psalm 26. Yeah, thank you to you as well. I I truly feel like the spirit just meets us in these conversations and somehow yeah. we get to a place where we're both, I think, really humbled and inspired. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's conclude with this verse, one that I picked from the middle of the psalm, actually, with all of the wrestling that we've done with it. I wash my hands in innocence. And go about your altar, Lord, proclaiming aloud your praise and telling of all your wonderful deeds. Friends, go out and pray the Psalms. <laughs>